Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the podcast. My name is John McAlevey. I'd like to thank you for carving some time out of your day to give us a listen. While this podcast is mainly for and about folks like me who have had their lives affected by a spinal cord injury, it is really for anyone who just wants to be inspired. Think of this as your 30 to 45 minute session of OT and PT for the soul. Sorry we have been away for a few weeks. I'm still having a hard time finding and booking guests. When we last crossed paths, Kelly Lamb from the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation was with us. If you missed that show, you can find it, as well as my other 27 finished products, on my website, which is www.quadcast.org. Now, when preparing for today's show, I transported myself back to the summer of 1990. I had just graduated from Providence College and had accepted a job working for an upstart sports television station named Sports News Network. SNN was headquartered in Arlington, Virginia, and so this Jersey boy hopped in a fire engine red Jeep Cherokee and headed down south to begin my career in television. I did not know where I would live, but wound up moving in with a childhood friend who had just graduated from the United States Naval Academy. Sal Raffanello was working at NASA for the summer and had an open bedroom in his apartment in Greenbelt, Maryland. Good for me, right? Yeah, but not so good for me, because my commute was 45 minutes each day, and my hours were 4 in the afternoon to 2 in the morning. Boy, those rides home were a blur, I must tell you. The first task I got was a doozy. I was told to log a World Cup soccer match between Russia and Czechoslovakia. The television I was given was tiny, and I did not have rosters with which to figure out who any of the players were. As if the situation wasn't bad enough for this newbie, the game was being broadcast on Univision, the Spanish-language TV network. So, I spent the better part of the next two hours in the corner of a crowded room full of folks watching other sporting events, hoping that no one would score a goal because I had zero chance of telling the on-air talent who on God's green earth it was. Lucky for me, the game ended nil-nil, as they say in soccer, and I was off the hook. I still laugh to this day about trying to distinguish Russian and Czechoslovakian names spoken by Spanish commentators. That was day one of the life of Johnny Mac sports editor slash anchor wannabe, and I went on to spend nine wonderful months working for the network, learning many of the ins and outs of the television industry before SNN unfortunately went bankrupt. Why, you might ask, am I reminiscing about my television production days? Well, it's because my guest today, John Floresca, is an active member of the local 600 Cinematographers Union who has worked in the TV and film industry for 19 years. As a focus puller or first assistant cameraman, John has worked on some amazing television series, such as Law & Order SVU, Gossip Girl, and Saturday Night Live, just to name a few. He has also worked on the major motion pictures, Superman 2 and Money Monster, and with comedians Tracy Morgan, Sebastian Maniscalco, the late Norm MacDonald, and more. As if that wasn't impressive enough, since June 21, 2019, John has done so from a wheelchair after suffering a spinal cord injury. Just what is a focus puller? Which other programs has he been a part of? How was he injured and what is he working on now? Well, following this commercial break from the good folks at Canine Companions for Independence, we will get answers to all of these questions when the Lights, Camera, Action episode of the Quadcast rolls on. And that, my friends, is next. 
This is my new best friend, Esther. She might look like any normal, playful puppy, but Esther's being raised to become a canine companions for independence assistance dog for a person with a disability. To get there, she needs lots of loving care and attention, plenty of exercise, and good eating habits so that she can live a long and healthy life for her future family. And she needs to spend tons of time socializing, learning basic commands like sit and stay, and taken to fun places with lots of distractions so that she can learn to cope in every situation. All of this will prepare Esther for more professional training to become a real assistance dog and a life helping a person with a disability to live more independently. Are you ready to open your heart and home for 18 months to a puppy like Esther? To find out more about becoming a canine companion for Independence Puppy Raiser or about other volunteer opportunities, visit cci.org or call 1-800-572-BARK. Raise a puppy, change a life. You can make a world of difference in the life of a person with a disability. Welcome back to the Quadcast. Remember, you can find the show on any of the following hosts. Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, iHeartRadio, Overcast, Podchaser, SoundCloud, Spotify, and Stitcher. And if you can think of someone that would be a great guest on the program, please feel free to text me at 973-202-3579. I'm always looking for inspirational stories to tell. And without further ado, it is my pleasure to welcome to the show, John Floresca. John, thank you for coming on. Hi, John. Thank you so much for having me. I love to start all of my shows at the beginning. So why don't we go there? John, why don't you tell myself and our viewers, and excuse me, our, not viewers, I wish they could see us, our, our listeners, exactly where you grew up and what were some things that you were interested doing as a young person? Sure. So, uh, I'm a 80s child, uh, grew up with the Kung Fu movies on Saturday mornings, cartoons, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, so I love to always go out, play with the G.I. Joes, Transformers, uh, always, you know, messing around with, with these toys and Nintendo started to come in. But mainly it was always going out with, you know, your BMX and your skateboard you know, hanging out with friends in the neighborhood and just being active, running around and stuff like that. Sure. So um grew up in Jersey City, New Jersey. Typical kid, huh, John? Yeah. <laughs> Understandable. Yeah. Typical kid. You live the life. I hear that from a bunch of my guys. How about sports? Were you into sports at all? That's something that, that I get from uh, many of my guests. Uh, back then, not really. Uh, when I started to go to high school, I started to go into sports. I started to do running, cross country, um, just started to see so many different types of athletes out there. And so sure. um, the one thing that uh, started with running and uh, I became a running coach was the fact that uh, in running, um, it was more zen than anything, than more athletics. It was such a individual sport that you know you can run yourself into the ground and if it if it um started to hurt then you can stop so uh running through the forest and cross country kind of reminded me of being an ewok in uh, return of the jedi going through the 
uh, the trees. Very cool. I've never thought of that, but yeah, it's it really is mental. A lot of people think that running is just physical, and yes, it's physical. But as you said, your mind could say, you know, I'm done. I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to take one more step. And it's that uh, it's your mind that that has you persevere and jump through all of that stuff. And so, yeah. so now that uh, now that you're working your way up into your teens and you're getting into high school, and sounds like you're a big TV and movie sort of buff. I guess that kind of lends you into your career path with uh, maybe television and movies and, and working in that realm. Is that where you started to head? Well, actually, I started in, um, I went to school pre-med. Uh, and then, um, you know, at St. John's University at Queens, and it was just so hard. My professor at the time said, if you don't know chapter one, then you won't know chapter two and, <laughs> and so on. So he kind of just um, set that in your head that if you're not, if you don't have it all planned out that, um, and you don't know chapter one, then you're, you're wasting your time. And that kind of, you know, said, well, all right, well, this is, uh, this is really tough. And, um, wake up call. It was a wake up call. call. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, at the time, you know, video games, computers started to come around and I started putting together computers and I was like, you know what, let me just start taking some of these computer courses. And, uh, and then all of a sudden I'm like working on a computer, hacking a computer, figuring out these new video games that are coming out. And then I become a hacker. Like I can, break codes and and next thing you know I'm I'm taking these computer courses and I'm flying through these courses I'm like all right this is my niche uh you know and I'm starting to do animations and streaming and this is in 2000 and streaming wasn't really popular I mean we're still doing you know there's no wi-fi there's no fiber optics uh so you're doing dial-up modem you know 20 23, 38K and and 100K was only for universities. So, I mean, that's nothing what it is compared to now. So we were actually uh, streaming comedians. Uh, It used to be called Comedy Net. Okay. Um, And then the bubble burst and all the internet jobs, they just went under, you know, you were making $45,000 and then now people caught on and now you're only making 12, 15,000, 20,000 a year. And, um, so it was pretty hard and, uh, you know, there was no jobs in the internet world at that time. And, um, you know, I helped out a friend, uh, he was writing a short film and he, you know, he was like, you're a real tech savvy. So why don't you just, you know, hop on, you know, try to do the camera, try to do the sound, you know, jack of all trades. Sure. And, um, and that was the beginning. Yeah. And I was like, sure, I'll just try whatever. And the guy who was filming it, uh, or shooting it, he, the cinematographer, he worked on a hundred center street and it was an old show on TV about lawyers. And, you know, he, he was in the union. He, uh, he was like, I think you'll be perfect do you want to learn more about TV? Mm -hmm. And I was like, sure. I love movie magic. Uh, I love my shows. Uh, I love my movies. I love star Wars. I love all that, you know, models and you know, all this camera magic. Um, and so he gave my, my name to 
someone at a TV show called uh, Third Watch on NBC. Okay, and I recall that show, yeah. Yeah, I jumped onto that show. Uh, it was mayhem. Day one was mayhem. It, they were running around Grand Central Station. I don't know who were cops, real cops, fake cops. There was shootings. There was like special effects, and uh, it was it was intense. And uh, it was a fifteen hour day. Um, I shadowed uh, the crew members, and uh, they said that you'll be a camera PA. You'll grab coffee for people and. You'll set up monitors and you'll clean cases and you get people food. And I was like, sure. All of the um, grunt work, right, John? You got to start at yeah, the bottom. You got to. And, um, but you learned. So I was like, I'm going to be the best coffee server runner <laughs> out there, you know? You were, I'm do you were, this a, with the, yeah, with you were a barista and, before they had baristas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's terrific. Yeah. And, uh, and then sure enough, they're like, uh, you need to join the union. So it's called Local 600 Cinematographers Union. Yeah, that leads me uh, into my next question. What does that do for you being a member and what are you entitled to as a member of the union? So when you're in Local 600 Cinematographers Union, it's not really an employment type of company. It's um, a guild that protects your rates, your rights your safety, your health. Um, and most, most, um, productions, shows, TV shows, um, that you see on TV is a major contract that, um, you know, only, only union members can work on. So there's also like, you know, short films, documentaries that are not union, um, that you can work on. Um, but, most major shows, most major productions um, are unionized. Okay. So I'm in the camera union. There's an electric union. There's a props union. There's a scenic uh, guild. There's an actor's guild. There's a writer's guild. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it just protects your rates and, you know, protects your rights um, as a crew member. Okay. So now how, after your coffee making days and handing out of donuts and whatnot is over with, what is the first project that you worked on that you couldn't wait to get home to tell family and friends that you did? And then exactly like, what was the shot that you were saying, Hey, you got to wait till about two hours in and then you'll see the spot that I did. So majority of the shows, when I started off, I was a loader and the loader works as the person who loads the film, unloads the film, puts it in a can, sends it away. Um, you're running back and forth, you know, after each shot. Um, a, a, a film mag is either 400 feet, 800 feet, 1,000 feet, depending on what camera you have. And, and that in turn is 400 feet can be about four minutes of footage. 1,000 feet can be between 10 to 11 minutes of footage. And so I would grab each of these mags and I would go back and forth and bring it to a dark room, uncan it. I mean, that's back in 2003, 2006. Uh, some shows still shoot on film, but now a lot of them shoot on, on you know, digital cards. And so um, the first major film that I worked on was Munich uh, when they came into town. Okay. Uh, Steven Spielberg, you know, this was the last stop of their whole movie of Munich. And um, I just remember having that last 
can that last magazine of film. And, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm like, this is it. This is the last, you know, uh, Steven Spielberg and, and the DP they're, they're they have the champagne out and they're toasting everybody and they're, they're saying the, the project, the project's done, but I still have this fresh mag of film in my head <laughs> and like, I I'm treating this thing like, you know, as yeah. if like, this is a glass ball that doesn't want to be dropped. Yes. So it's, you know, like I'm, I'm walking carefully to the, to the camera truck and I'm telling people don't touch me. I'm going through my procedures of making sure the whole dark room is dark and I don't expose this film to any type of light. Um, and then, well, you know, it it's like... It would have been your first big picture and your last big picture had you done <laughs> anything wrong with that. It's very true. Right? Oh, goodness. It's very true. And so to um, to see a big production like that um, was was really was was really humbling and and heartfelt and you know I met some really great uh crew members on that job and sure. see how how it's done um and you know that there was from that point on out you know it, it's like there was more to come there's more to come uh my last major feature film that I worked on fully cuz that was only uh the New York section of Munich and the movie that I worked on from start to finish was um, a show called Money Monster, a movie called Money Monster. Mm -hmm. um, Jody Foster directed it. Okay. Uh, George Clooney was in there. Julia Roberts was in there. And what the, year was this, John? Put a year on this. Uh, I want to say 2017 or 2018. Okay. And, um, you know, it was, it was something to see from start to finish a full major film. Um, you know, full mate, you know, a list stars, a list director, a list cinematographer, Maddie Libatique. Um, and you just, you know, you're in that, you're in that situation where actually none of those names matter. And what matters is your job and what you do and how, how you hold yourself and how you get through the job and, and your attitude, um, and so with all that, everything John, said and that, done. Yeah. That leads me to my question. You talk about your job and what you're supposed to do. Tell yeah. us what your main job is as a focus puller or the first AC, the assistant camera, I believe. What exactly sure. does that mean? And how would we as the consumer watching the movie and or TV show know it, what it is that you have done? Okay. So a first AC or focus puller, first assistant camera person isn't really in charge of keeping everything in focus. I pull focus. So which means is I have a knob that is connected to the camera's camera's lens uh, and all camera lenses are, are focused manually, uh, be it by remote or by a gear that's hooked up to a camera and you having a hand on, on a focus knob. Uh, anytime you see on a TV show or on a movie and there's two people talking and that one person turns his head or her head and, and talks to the other person and that person goes blurry and then the person he's talking to you becomes sharp, then that is somebody actually throwing the focus. So what happens is when you watch something on screen, 
your eye tends to go to something that is more in focus than blurry. You just naturally, you just naturally go to what is in focus. And in most cases, in most major films and TV shows, um, somebody is controlling that focus or keeping someone in focus when they're running down the street or, or chasing or a car or something like that. Sure. Sure. So that's, that's quite a job. And, and I know exactly what you're talking about where you're watching someone and they're in one focus and then it zooms out to the other person. I always thought that that was, uh, that was something really cool. So that's, uh, that's what your main job is on the show, uh, and in the movies. Now, John, um, I hate to do this to you, but you've worked in the industry for a number of years now. And then, uh, we fast forward to June 21, 2019, and you're in Hawaii for a family vacation and a gender reveal party for your first child. How did this happy and proud occasion suddenly turn into tragedy for you? Sure. So June 21st, 2019, uh, that was a Friday. That was the week ending uh, a big family vacation. Uh, everybody, our West Coast family and cousins, and our cousins and family from the East Coast, we all met up in Hawaii to have a big summer vacation uh, and gender reveal. My wife was six months pregnant at the time, and we got everyone together to do a gender reveal. And we were so happy that he's a, he's a, he's my son. Um, it's a boy. Okay. And towards the end of the week of everyone being there. People were leaving Friday and Saturday. That Friday morning, I didn't plan anything for anybody. And it was kind of my time to myself. And so I begged my wife that I was like, can I go and just take some time and go surfing? And she's like, okay, fine, sure. And so um, I set up a surfing instructor trip. I go out to Oahu to one of the bays out there with, uh, with the surfing instructor and two of my cousins. And we go out into the ocean. It was pretty toppy. The weather was pretty, it wasn't sunny, I know that. And, uh, and I'm getting ready for this wave. And I push up on this board and some type of perfect storm, when I pushed on this board, I hyperflexed my lower back kind of like a cobra pose in yoga. Okay. So my, my hips are still on, on the board and I push up forcefully on the board and I hyperflex my lower back. And so my L, my L5 slips over my S1. Oh, good grief. I pop up and I feel this pain and it shoots down my right leg, kind of like sciatica. I get up, I surf, I ride the wave, everything's fine. I roll over, I get back up, I get back on this wave, another wave, and I just keep going. And every time I got up, I was getting weaker and weaker to the point where I was like trying to get up, but I would only get up to my knees. And, and so I told the instructor, you know, I'm I'm done. I'm in pain. I'm, I'm done. And we are pushed out. And so I had to paddle all the way back to the beach. We get to the beach. I'm in 
it felt like this major cramp and this major cramp in your lower back and glutes and your hamstrings. It was just cramping up so much. And so it's getting considerably worse. Yeah. And I, I was feeling like, you know, like it's like I didn't stretch and maybe I'm dehydrated. And so I know that adrenaline was pushing me through the, you know, the, the instructor gave me some Tylenol, but every, so I got to the hotel room and, and I'm just getting weaker. And I, I it was leaning up, I was leaning up against the wall and my cousins let go of me. And then I, I fall to the floor. Oh. I crawl back up the wall. You know, I told them I'm okay. They, they go away. I'm in my room and my wife, her sister and mother, they're out doing hula cooler dancing lessons so it's all by myself in, in the room I, I started to army crawl to my clothes I, I get out of the wet clothes um I'm thinking it's just major pain in my back yeah. so I get up I get up uh I crawl up to the sofa bed I put my legs up and trying to alleviate the, the back pain I call my wife and I'm like you guys gotta come here something terrible happening wrong, yeah and um I just feel I just feel my legs going colder. I see my toes kind of like mm. flutter and move and they're weak and then I'm sweating. And so Numb, right? next thing you know, they stop. Yeah. And, and I, I'm telling my wife, I'm telling, and so all my family shows up and, you know, I tell them something's wrong They're You know, they're saying it might be a herniated disc. I'm telling them it's not, mm-hmm. you know, I call urgent care They're They told me they're not going to do anything. Oh, good grief. So I go. So did you so, finally just go to 911, go to the hospital? So I find out that the closest hospital is Queens Hospital in Oahu. Um, and we, we jump into an Uber. Oh. I jump into, I get carried into an Uber. I know that's not the best way to go uh, at this moment. Yeah. Uh, I wasn't going to wait for uh, an ambulance or call 911. Uh, I get admitted really quick. And I think that's when my adrenaline started to go away. Um, you know, I was still in good spirits, though, because, you know, like tra- like um, getting from the wheelchair to the gurney, you know, like the doctors are saying like, oh, we need a big guy to uh, yeah. bring him from the wheelchair to the gurney. and uh, and this big guy starts walking towards me and I start clapping my hands and I'm like, there he is. <laughs> and, uh, and the doctors are like, do you know him? And, and I'm like, no, but you said a big guy. And this <laughs> guy is big. If, if this guy was five, two, I'd say, Oh, Hey, can we get another big guy? Exactly. Oh God. So John, <laughs> so I mean, I, I, yeah, long I story short, calm. what did they, what did they ultimately tell you was the case? So, um, they didn't tell me right then and there. They, I had to do an MRI, a two-hour MRI, and that was a Friday. Stayed overnight. Saturday morning, the doctors come in, and they they diagnosed me with surfer's myelopathy. Okay. Um, it's very rare. Happens twenty cases a year. Um, even the nurses who have been there for so long were like, they've never heard, they've never seen someone in person that has surfer's myelopathy. Um, when it was, when they told me, I, you know, they were like, um, you don't have a severed spine. You don't have a bulging disc or herniated disc. 
and you and there's no surgery. There's inflammation around your spine. It's like a pinched spinal cord. Okay. And um, it's a gray area. Okay. We really don't know what to do. So the game plan and, is what? Did they send you to a rehab facility? So they kind of wanted me to do rehab in Hawaii, but I, I knew I wanted to get back home to Jersey because all my friends, my family, all my support's in Jersey. And so, sure. you know, everyone went home and my, my, my wife and her mom stayed. So we extended our trip for another, I, I want to say 10 days. And, um, you know, when the doctors told me, you know, there's no surgery and it's a gray area, then I knew then at that moment it was in my hands. Mm -hmm. I knew that it was up to me to figure things out. And I told the doctors, you know, I look forward to the challenges ahead of me. Yeah. Uh, embrace the suck and let's go. I, I was like, I need to get up and I need to move around. You want me to be in a wheelchair for nine hours for the ride home, then get me a wheelchair and let me start rolling around this hospital. Sure. You know, I, someone gave me a book about, you know, um, trauma, illness, death. And the first chapter when I was sitting there reading was, uh, accepting, you know, accepting and giving your time, yourself time to grieve. Right. And uh, I accepted it. I accepted that, you know, they're unsure of, you know, the percentages of what can happen and can't happen. Mm -hmm. And and so I was like, all right, well, then I'm going to try everything that I can from this day on. Now, for our listeners at this point, now you're back in Jersey. What sort of mobility do you have? Can you can you stand? Can you move your leg? You're not completely paralyzed, right? You can move. You can wiggle toes. Can you put weight on your legs? So, so when from Hawaii, I went straight to Kessler um, Rehab in West Orange, New Jersey. Love the place, yeah. And, um, you know, it, it was a whirlwind of things going on because as soon as I landed from Hawaii, that nine hour trip, we left Tuesday, 3 p.m. and I landed 9 a.m. on a Wednesday. And right then and there, I was getting poked and prodded and put through a bunch of tests. And uh, next thing you know, I'm on that mat. And, uh, yeah. you know, um, when I started uh, two years ago at Kessler, I had limited mobility in my uh, hips and in my um, knees and uh, inflections. Um, and I definitely couldn't uh, move my ankles and toes. Uh, fast forward to where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. um, I'm actually riding on a Peloton for 45 minutes. I can stand with assisted um, braces, uh, these uh, AFOs that help me lock my knees. Um, I can... Uh, I can in water, I do aqua therapy and then in water, I can, I can bring my knees up to my chest. I could kick, I could, uh, do, uh, seated marching. Um, and I can tread water. Uh, I'm up to my personal record of treading water is two minutes and 15 seconds. That's awesome. Uh, with, 
with no assistance. You know, John, I call that that's the human spirit. You know, the doctors can tell you, well, there's no gray area here or there's gray area. We don't know what you're going to do. And you might be confined to the wheelchair for the rest of your life. But, you know, you're going for it and you're putting all your effort into getting as, as much back as you can. And uh, and that is that is awesome. You know, I, well, I, you know, I, I told commend my you wife, for that. Thank you. Thank you. I told my wife, you know, like. We'll just keep trying, right? Mm-hmm. And if things keep moving and if things keep progressing, if if one little twitch can move into one little movement, then I'm going to keep trying to build on it. And so far, it's been working. Um, I, sure I, I believe in interventions, different interventions. I, I believe in different, you hit different plateaus mm-hmm. and that you just need to get a little, you know, kick in the butt from another place or... Uh, uh, another point of view, but the most consistent thing is to to move, to constantly move and constantly evolve and constantly challenge yourself. Move it or lose it is really a true statement. I, I've learned that throughout COVID. I kind of got a little dormant and uh, I, I atrophied and and whatnot. But John, okay. getting back to when you were first um, first injured, what's amazing to me, and this leads back into your profession. Tell us about how you really just threw yourself back into uh, into work when you were producing and filming a Filipino food documentary called Ulam, which, as you told me, means main dish. Tell us about that project. So actually, actually Ulam, I did it before um, injury. Okay. But everything is the same. Um, you know, everything could be worse, right? Sure. Everything could be worse. And the fact that I get injured uh, and now we're talking 18 years, tenure in the film business, meeting so many crew members, helping out so many crew members, it kind of came full circle when I got injured and everybody came out of the woodwork and supported me in so many ways. And so I just want also, if any crew members are out there listening to this, Thank you, brothers and sisters, for all the support. You know, you guys make me who I am now. And, and you know, in all my projects going forward, it, you know, nothing has changed my mental spirit. And um, the the jokes are going to keep on going. <laughs> so when, um, when I came back, I knew it was going to be a challenge. And March 1st, I want to say, was the first time I came back to work after injury and it was on a show, Michelle Bateau, um, comedy standup. And the thing is pulling focus and working on cameras, you know, is I can still do it because of my upper body strength. I can still do it because of my experience. I can still do it because I have, the support of other assistant camera people around me. And, and, you know, if they were willing to make it work, then I was willing to make it work. Mm -hmm. I wanted to show, I wanted to show people that I can do it. I can still do it. And also it shows the vision of vocational rehab services that I want to go back to work, which also is a domino effect which they would say, okay, if you're going back to work, we're going to help you get back to work too. And they got my hand controls and now they're making my house accessible. And I feel like doing all these little steps yeah. 
is a ripple effect that can show like that people if if you show that you're willing to do it if you're showing that you can have success in doing it people love success and yes. people want to back it up sure people back up hard workers mm-hmm. it's just it you know they see you struggling but they also see you working really hard and and people come out to help you and yes. it is hard. having having a spinal cord injury changes so many things and there's so many challenges that people don't see people see the wheelchair and it's a very striking visual yeah but they don't know all the other stuff right john i I like to tell my friends that the spinal cord injury that i've had and that that our brethren have had is it's the gift that keeps on giving because it's always something right it's they have no idea you know they see you and you have a smile on your face and you're dressed but they don't know how hard it was for you to get dressed they have no idea that your your bowel and bladder are affected and that you have to i mean i think i know where every men's room is in the tri-state area because i have like two minutes to get there or i am wearing whatever it is and so it's it's all of that stuff you know i i interviewed um ali stroker who was the first disabled person to win uh, a Tony Award uh, on Broadway. I mean, she's amazing. And I asked her, I said, did you have any role models like, you know, folks like yourself that that were in a wheelchair uh, that you looked up to? And she said, you know, John, I really did not. And so that leads me to this question. When you are around, uh, when you're on a TV set or a movie set or around the comedy clubs, are there any other folks that look like you? Are there any other wheelchair users or folks that are disabled? So it sounds like you're a bit of a trailblazer, John. That's very cool. I, you know, it's really crazy. I, a lot of this stuff, I really don't think to myself that I'm inspiring people. I feel like I'm a person that has this drive that wants to do what I like to do that I want to do. And I will find every way possible to get it done no matter what. And the fact that I've been in this business for 19, 18, 19 years and have never seen anyone in a wheelchair because to be honest, film sets are not inclusive. It's probably one of the worst places to be um, in a wheelchair with so many moving parts and, you know, cables all around and sets moving and things falling and, and, you know, um, it's kind of like when I first came up in the business and it was just like, you, you, you put the work in, you, you put, you know, they used to ask me, how bad do I want it? How bad do I want to be in the union? And, you know, this is like the 16th hour day at night, 3am when it's like raining and, and you're just trying to get, you know, get this film in the can, or you're just trying to roll this camera or you're just trying to roll this cart full of lenses up a hill yeah and you're like how bad do you want it yeah and you know it's like i want it sure and i i just knew coming up in the business that when you work with me you'll remember me that i have a great attitude a great spirit and a smile and i'll be in the trenches with you and we'll get through this yes any which way but um it goes it goes uh on now and it's like I may be in a wheelchair but I have so much people around me that support me um the crazy thing that goes on in your head is I lost my independence and now I have to ask for help yes and that's another thing where 
you know, you switch from doing everything and being such an alpha person and taking care of everything that now you have to find that balance to ask for help. It's the hardest thing to do. It really is. And I know, John, in my in my intro, that which you'll hear when uh, when I shoot you the fin- finished product of the podcast, I mentioned some of the things that you've worked on. Gossip Girl, Law & Order, SVU, Project Runway, and Saturday Night Live, just to, to name a few. Can you tell us a quick funny story or a great story from any one of those that uh, that sort of sticks out for you? Sure. So Donnie Wahlberg in Blue Bloods, he's a gem. He is such a great guy, even though he's on New Kids on the Block and <laughs> he's a boy tough. band member. And uh, what, so one, one day he comes onto set and he's like, these pants are so tight, you could break a board over my butt. <laughs> and so one day I'm I'm sitting there and, and, he, and he pops up and he's like, Johnny, he, here's a board. Why don't you break this board over my butt when I say it when I'm on set? Oh, it's great. And I was like, excuse me? And And I was like, I have the green light to hit you with the board. A boy band member yeah. with a board. N-K-O-T-B. The other guys are going to come out of the woodwork and come after you. <laughs> and what so set he, was so, that on? What was that for? So uh, this was on Blue Blood, but he, he was such a prankster on set. So this was in between the shots. He comes onto set and he goes, man, my pants are so tight. You can bring a board over my butt. <laughs> and and so he goes, Johnny. And I, I come out. And I swing for the fences and I break this board over his butt and he falls to the floor and everyone's laughing. Oh gosh. To the point where to the point where he was on the talk on CBS and then they showed it. I mean, if you YouTube it, you can see you can you can see the video of me. Uh, hitting Donnie Wahlberg with a board. You know, I have to tell after, you, that's that's my favorite show. I have that, uh, I DVR that every week. And so- Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Oh, I love Blue Bloods. Tell me about Tom Selleck. Did you get the chance oh, to work with him at all? Yeah, Stallion. He's, if you think he's, he was tall in Magnum PI and uh, he he is a tall person. Um, Very stoic. Yeah. He walks into the room. It's business time. Yeah. Um. But a uh, great cast, great crew. Sure. How about Saturday Night Live? Any fun? Any fun uh, uh, hosts or musical guests that uh, that stick out to you? Ooh, Saturday. Um, you know, Keenan. Oh, Keenan is hilarious. He's hilarious. Yeah. Um. The 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 new cast, uh, Bowen Yang, mm-hmm. Melissa Villasenor. Sure incredibly funny mm-hmm. um so the great thing about saturday night live is that you know you get there and you watch these skits so i in saturday night live i do the um, the digital shorts so last week was uh owen wilson and luke wilson doing the star trek ego trip yes um so you know it's it's just it's it's whatever i've thought about years ago one saturday night live you know it's like you walk through the halls of 30 rock and you know you're like don't be a fanboy don't be a fanboy <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
But you see, you know, the pictures of all the cast from Eddie Murphy, Dan Aykroyd, you know, Norm MacDonald, rest in peace. And, you know, you're just like, to be a part of it um, is very humbling. And, and I'm so grateful to be on such a show that I can work on Friday, Friday morning, Friday night, and then and then 12 hours later, it's up on the big screen. It's so, amazing. The fact that you're back at it, John, is is a tribute to, as we talked about before, the human spirit, the fact that you're back out there, and the fact that the industry is, you know, has embraced you and, and brought you back. I mean, that must give you... Um, you know, it must make you feel great that, you know, because they say, hey, you know, he's not the he's not as able bodied as he used to be. We could find somebody else that could do his job. But the fact that they're allowing you to be back and and you're thriving at what you did before is uh, is a tribute to you and to them as well. Yeah, I'm absolutely grateful to all the producers that I have worked with that when I talk to them, they some some of them didn't know. Some of them just figured it out on that day. But they're all out there willing to help, willing to make things even more accessible. Um, things that they never thought of. Um, you know, uh, a studio that we are shooting in isn't um, accessible in some cases. And so when we were shooting in this one warehouse, they made the bathrooms accessible for me. That's awesome. I mean... Uh, you know, I can't thank them enough for all that. And um, it is twenty twenty one, right? They need to. Yeah. And when the bathrooms broke, we were they, you know, the bathrooms were in the trailer, and I was like, "Hey, what about me? I can't go." <laughs> These trailers are like four yeah. steps up, yeah. and um, you know, they figure it out. Sure. Um, sure. And so again, I'm like grateful because I just feel like, uh, you know. We're all human. Sure. It's, it's, it's really crazy out there. I, everyone has their struggle and everyone has their challenges. And um, there is still people out there that help others, John, no what matter is, what situation they are. Excuse me for interrupting. What is the next big project that you're working on? And then I want to get to my last question for you. Is there something <laughs> that you're working on now that, you know, might be on the QT or is there, is there something that, uh, there's, um, there's a couple in okay. the horizon. Okay. Uh, non-disclosure. I can't talk about it. All right. Sign, you signed these agreements. You'd have to um, kill me if you, you told know, me, right? The fact, the fact that there are projects in this crazy climate um, gives me hope. The fact that people call me back gives me hope. Yeah. Um, that uh, I'm able to do. I'm able to do. Uh, a full season of Saturday Night Live. I'm able to do a full season of Project Runway. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm able to finish big shows out there. Um, going through my injury and going through my recovery while also going through COVID. Um, so I, it was like a, it was like a nice little humble brag that I was able to do it all. Awesome. And John, usually the the final question, I save it for last uh, for all of the folks that I have on that have had their spinal cord injury is this one. If I could snap my fingers right now and you would be completely able-bodied once again, what is the first thing that comes to your mind that you would do? So the first thing that I would love to do 
would be dancing with my son and my wife. Just a, a nice little dance party in a circle, dancing with them. But John, I have to tell you, I'm a very visual person and um, I kind of see myself doing it now. Uh, I visualize myself walking in braces and I can do that. I've, I, I've walked 800 feet in my braces. I can stand in these new braces that I'm in. Uh, I visualized myself biking last year and now I'm biking this year and uh, I'm up to 45 minutes of biking on a Peloton, which That's is awesome, challenging. But then dancing, I visualize myself dancing with my son and with my wife. I, I can see it. It's there. It's in the horizon. It's going to happen. Yes. So if you snap your fingers now or six months later, I'll still be dancing. You'll be dead. You're going to get those dancing shoes. You're going to have to call Donnie Wahlberg and see if you can get some <laughs> of the Capizios he used to wear back in the 80s. <laughs> right. And see if you could get out on the yeah. dance floor. That's a great answer. And and John, I, I want to really thank you for, for carving some time out of your busy schedule. I mean, you're going from TV stu- uh, studio to the movie sets and uh, for you to uh, to come on with me on the quadcast has been a thrill to learn about, you know, the movie industry and, and TV. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, you've had something terrible happen to you, but you haven't let it get the best of you. You're back out there and your story is inspirational to me. And I know it will be to all of my listeners. Thank you. It's, it was an honor to be on this. Thank you so much, John. And just like that, it is time to roll the credits and then fade to black. But before we do, I again want to thank John Floresca for joining me today. Also, I must thank my mix master extraordinaire, Chris Perepesco, at Harbor Picture Company. Couldn't do it without you, Chris. And on a personal note, I am trying to break into the world of voiceovers. Since my arms, hands, and fingers don't really work anymore, I am going to try and maximize something that still does. My big mouth. So, if you like the sound of my velvety tones and feel that they could benefit you or your business in any way, please call me at 973-202-3579 or email the kid at jmcaleavey at comcast.net. Until we meet again, I am John McAleeby, and I thank you for your time. Ah!